Every one of the remaining Mirdain were captured and presented to the audience of Sauron, who in his hand bore the defeated smith of Eregia. Every breath Celebrimbor stammered for, the following grew heavier and more meager, and his olive skin grew pale and sunken. I will melt the Mirdain in the forge of your making, and shackle you with the chains that will become until you hand me what is mine. Sauron's words were cold, yet calm, quiet, yet resounding. And they shall look into your eyes upon their final breath, and know that you are the cause of their suffering. This petty desire for control. I am the purveyor and the performer of the rings. And yet you, in your insolent anger, stole them from their rightful master. And now look around you. Eregion is destroyed, Ostinedil is razed, and the house of the Myrdain is no longer. All that remains of the majesty of Eregion is the Myrdain, and I will spare their life out of the kindness of my being, only for my rightful property in return. Your rightful <coughs> property. Celebrimbor spat between breaths as his body convulsed in pain. Sauron watched with a cold indifference as Celebrimbor gasped for air, his life force slowly ebbing away. I will never give them to you. You may wish to reconsider. Sauron raised his left hand, as if pronouncing his own theme, mirroring Eru Iluvatar himself, and it was consumed by a sea of turbulent sound, wreathed in a malice like a raging storm. The Myrdain and Answer were lugged away into the darkness of the forge, looking back at Celebrimbor in fear, and just as soon a blazing fire was lit, and the forge heated. You will never find them, Celebrimbor screeched. They are out of your reach. Sauron tightened his grip around Celebrimbor's neck, raising him higher into the air. You will do good to tell me where you have stowed our song of triumph and victory. The Myrdain were brought to the forefront of their doom, and with pity Celebrimbor looked upon them. He could not perish knowing that their deaths were in his own hands, and that one gift for the Lord of Gifts would have spared their feas. He looked to the malice of Gorthaur, and in that moment, conjured by some fear and despair, Celebrimbor innately understood the mind of Sauron. The Nine and the Seven were not at the head of Sauron's conquest, nor in the front of his mind, for greater than even the Sixteen, Gorthaur desired the Three. That defiance, that rejection of his potency, was the kindling of the wrath that had swayed his hand over Eriador, and in the hands of the wise the three lay. The Myrdain were hoisted upon the precipice of the wreathing raging fire beneath them, and they were consumed by a trembling trepidation. I will tell you, Celebrimbor's voice was stark and tempered with guilt. The Nine, Celebrimbor began to utter the secrets he had sworn to seal. They are within the Nome Orea, the sanctuary of the One. And the seven? Sauron tightened his hold upon the smith, feeling the fiercity of victory. They are out of your reach, Celebrimbor stammered. They are with the dwarves, and soon they shall be within the stronghold of Khazadum, guarded by the might of the doors of Durin, and only a friend may enter there. The dwarves were in retreat. Their arrival had seen to the escape of countless elves of Eregion, as they fled east to entwine within the ranks of the fleeing force of Elrond and Celeborn, and now the Kasari fell back to their mountain halls. But Sauron's determination would not be outmatched, 
and as quickly as their location was uttered, Sauron turned with Celebrimbor in hand to retrieve his rightful prize. What will we do, my lord? One of the orcs, impatient, screeched. Stay your hand, Sauron commanded. For their defiance shall be now forged into a symbol, a precedent for the consequences of betraying my trust and goodwill. Upon this night of victory, instead of the ensign of the east and the flag of the greatness therein, we shall raise the banners that shall hoist the defeat of Eregion. And in this moment, Celebrimbor fell limp, and all that he could muster was one final breath. Nothing but infinite blackness wrapped in a deafening silence surrounding him. Nothing moved or stirred, and everything was and wasn't, all at the same time. This... Calibrimbor himself was trapped in a mix of relief and fear, finding himself devoid of pain or suffering, and suddenly able to speak. Is this... the end? He asked the damning thought at nobody in particular, hoping perhaps that he would merely awaken and would return to the grip of Gorthaur. This was to no avail, and only the echoes of his own pondering answered, and he did not wake. Is this the end? He asked now with more vigor, fear overtaking the relief within him. At last something other than himself stirred, and from the depth of the void beyond him sprung an iridescent hue enveloping the ethereal mountainous visage. It rose steadily and firmly, soon towering over Celebrimbor. Before its aged yet young face was three arms outstretched, all raised upwards in command, accompanied by three symphonies, entwined and separate humbling him with a purity of sound unheard by him before. In this moment, Celebrimbor regretted the temper within his last words. Nonetheless, he stood firm and looked towards the being. Is this the end? He cornered his fear and accepted what he knew the answer to be. What is the end? The voice returned, commanding and solemn. The end of your life which you defend, or the city your life defends in turn? Your life is over, Telperinquar. But even now, those who defend you, defend you still. So, is it the end? I would not say so. But surely the wrath that I felt... Celebrimbor continued, conversing as if the visage was a familiar friend, almost guessing at the identity long ago bestowed to the causer of creation. That cannot be defeated. Eriador is too greatly weakened. I have left it in the ruins stemmed from that of my own devising, to be ensnared by the wrath of Sauron. Too grim are these thoughts for one who knows the endurance of history, being continued. For this world has seen the culmination of many wraths far greater than the one you call the abhorred, and yet still it has endured to see the next. Then why do you fear, sir? I cannot see. I cannot yet see. The light beyond the void. The hope within this tumultuous despair. Forgive me, but my vision is dimmed by the deeds of my own doing. Vision without imperfection can trouble a fair mind. Yet the truth I seek utmost. Death without hope, absent a martyr. Wrapped in the casualties of my crafting, and stills a trepidation unlike any I have ever felt. I have left the Regian behind in ruin, and now the innocent must provide a remedy for the guilty's actions. But they shouldn't have to bear that burden. But they do, the being affirmed. Just as you bore the burden of Feanor before you, 
and as your grandsire bore the resolve of the defiled of the themes of Iluvatar. Age after age, time and time, the burden of the present is never the bearer's own devising, but the result of all that has come before. This is a truth that cannot be dissuaded, as such is the very nature of creation. I hear your words, Celebrimbor acknowledged, but they do not ease my anguish. I am sorry, for it is apparent your words are sourced from some great wisdom, but they fall on the ears of the deaf, clouded by the culpability too firmly fixed within my fear. Born anew you are, soon to leisure in the lavish lawns of the Valar, and yet you are still burdened by the horror since felony. Your misdeeds are behind you, Kelvinborn, in a reign free from tyranny awaits. In the tranquility of the undying you may comfort yourself in the words of Iluvatar, for I am him, and he is me, and unto you I say that Middle-earth shall endure. Celebrimbor trembled suddenly, for even though he guessed at the god behind the guise before him, the word Iluvatar graced his lobes with mighty magnate, and to know that he stood before the divisor of the Chronicles of Arda was a trepidous yet powerful thought. Your words do comfort me, even now, Celebrimbor assured. But even with the promises from the one who stands before me, I do not know that I could ever convince myself of the truth that is apparent to others. Come, Kerubimbor, and allow me to make you the audience of the vision of which only the greatest of powers in Middle-earth have seen. Walking into the lap of Iluvatar, all grew black and silent yet again, and this vision, absent from vision, lasted what felt like days where the infinite nothingness ruled the realm apart from a singular star, which reigned sovereign over all. Celebrimbor grew accustomed to the vista, and he pondered the purpose of the scene in the mirage of visions Iluvatar had prepared for him, but nothing could he conjure in thoughts or sights, and soon the vision progressed. Several smaller stars sprouted from the sovereign ruler, of different hues and sizes, and soon in harmony they were conducted in a grand symphony under the sovereign composition. Three immaculate themes were composed and conducted, and in the chorus they were charted into the infinite nothingness beyond them, and within their span Celebrimbor witnessed the birth of a great discord in the music, and in his heart he understood who abetted the terrorist tune that rose in defiance of the themes of the stars. For Morgoth was among the array of gleaming gods, and in so being the Valar and the Maiar were amidst them too, and Celebrimbor pondered that somewhere amidst them, yet unturned, Sauron Gorthaur, some tributary to the beautiful anthem. Though within the uncounted and unnumbered hours that passed serenaded by the song of the Valar, Celebrimbor was dismayed, for the themes had no purpose, and only were temporary. For once a theme found its finale, it was gone, and lost into the void of time. It was when Celebrimbor had come to this realization that the vision shifted again, and suddenly before his eyes he saw a great expanse of an incredible spectacle, a world without imperfection, an idealized version of what he had always aspired for Middle-earth to be, and the purpose he had imbued into the rings. And within the expanse he understood that in each mountain, every flowing river and each restless wind was imbued all of the many parts of the complex composition of the sovereign star which he had now memorized and that the lands and the waters before him were the innate purpose of the music of the Ainur. Though upon understanding this, the expanse embodied perfection no longer, 
and a tumultuous discord absconded the land of its grandeur, and in place was formed a triumphant yet ravenous fanfare of siege and sorrow. Instead of the sovereign star, Morgoth reigned the conduction, and empowered those under the influence of his symphony. Seeing this, an unbearable horror enveloped Celebrimbor's amazement, and any glee within him was marred. The thought that this mountainous, majestic, and horrific figure before him was the very foe of Feanor and Fingolfin darkened his expression, and an understanding for the circumstances of his revered, yet detested grandsire came over him. This overbearing aura did not fade, and only endured as the history of which he had pondered over only in accounts and books, played out before him. He witnessed many triumphant heroes and many dreadful tragedies, and then the forces whom presided over the eminence of the Sovereign Star, and those who were enraptured by the ego of Morgoth, rose up in equal measure, and a great war of wrath was brewed. This war Celebrimbor remembered well, and he struggled to remain competent as before him he saw the Grand Vista of Gondolin, and endured its fall once more, and he beheld the wrath of Morgoth Boglir, and his influence in both the West and the East. But the resolve of the age-ending war he too remembered well, and he recounted the parting of Yerendil as he made pilgrimage to Valinor to plead before the Valar for an intervention. The might of the Ainur followed soon after, and the end of the War of Wrath. What is the meaning of this? Celebrimbor beckoned suddenly. I have witnessed these days firsthand. Why do you show them to me again? The path of knowledge is sourced in patience utmost, Iluvatar answered. Return your gaze to the expanse before you, the east of the lands you call Middle-earth, where the second children rule in solidarity. Within the west, the east is often regarded as the source of this great darkness which now wars upon Oregion and Eriador. As the men of Rund, easterlings assault those who they should call their Sib. Though the wise understand, as you should, that the source is beyond the continent of the east, and within a greater tribulation as I have shown you, the great discord in the music of the Ainur. The East darkens evermore, yet only because of this imperfection that spreads its influence over them. The men of Rune are good at heart. Celebrimbor watched as before him the influence of Sauron spread among men like unquenched fire. Visions of his deceit loomed before him, and the mighty Gorthaur strode amid the peoples of Rune. Sauron's influence grew evermore, and in time enveloped even the Gwaith e Myrdain, as Anatar weaved his wares into the forges of Eregion. At this moment, as the three were crafted in the blazing forges under the smithrian guidance of Celebrimbor, the vision grew mudded and blurry, as the echoes of the past abounded into the present and surpassed it. Only a great darkness swathed the expanse before him, a tenor of the War of Elves and Sauron, and a familiar discordant time rose from the silence. Is this the end? Celebrimbor asked for a final time. For beyond the bonds of chaos I see no serenity. The themes that were performed before me are now drowned in a sea of turbulent sound, and only remain in the vestiges of Elvendom upon Middle-earth, and the sundering seas beyond them. The light of my Fea has been dimmed. Now I can only stare into the nothingness that is the end, of which is apparent to me. Our region is destroyed. Iluvatar spoke of the portents in the perilous future of the Symphony of Creation. And its song and the structures and smiths therein will be constrained to words alone. 
This much I can unfold to your ears, but no more, for not even those whose part has been played can fully understand the consequences and the triumphs stem from their actions. But this is not the end, for the darkness will pass, and the light of themes of which I have composed will sound again all the clearer. Celebrimbor trembled as many revelations came over him, but even more questions flooded his clarity. So Sauron, the abhorred, shall at last be conquered. Conquered? Iluvatar beckoned. Sauron may never be conquered, and may persist until the last day. Even Melkor is not wholly ridden. He was only overcome and bound by the great chain and Gynor, thrust into the timeless void beyond Arda. Does this mean that Middle-earth shall ever be subject to their tyranny? Nay, for beyond this darkness of death and decay will come a day where a new theme is unveiled, one tributary to all of Arda, with no challenger in defiance. But that does not mean that all that has come before is in vain, for the discord of Melkor is a necessary evil. Without darkness, the light of day is hollow and without significance, absent triumph. This may be incomprehensible to your ears, but do not be assuaged, for when the end times come, all shall understand. Celebrimbor did not understand wholly, but he realized the truth that Iluvatar was trying to convey. He saw that everything that happened, every action and consequence, every mistake and triumph was part of a grander plan, a symphony that Iluvatar had composed, and just like the stars in the vision, Every being in Middle-earth, from the smallest being to the mightiest heroes, played a part in this composition. Tears streamed down Celebrimbor's face as he finally understood the truth of his existence, the purpose of his life, and the reason for his death. He was just one piece in the Grand Symphony of Middle-earth, a symphony that would endure long after he was gone, and one that had a final movement yet to be unveiled. With a newfound sense of peace, Celebrimbor turned to Iluvatar and said, I understand now. I understand that I should not dwell on the actions of my past, or the foundations for the future they have laid, or the three teams of which I was an audience to have already been wrought, and their ending has already been played. Iluvatar smiled, his eyes twinkling with the light of a thousand stars. Then go, Celebrimbor, and know that you have played your part well. The symphony of Arda will continue, and your memory will forever be enshrined in its melody. Celebrimbor returned the smile, feeling lighter than he had in many years. He turned and walked towards the endless darkness, ready to embark on his new journey into the afterlife, to present himself before Mandos. As he walked, he heard the faint sound of a symphony, an unfamiliar yet beautiful melody that seemed to come from every direction at once. This he understood was the second music of Einar, and for the first time in a long time, he felt hopeful.
Kyodan, shipwright of the Havens in Mithond. The elven mariner bowed before the presence of the king of Numenor. Tarminastir looked back at him with an intrigued and curious expression, for his keen eyes had never graced the aged elven face, bristling on his chin a great beard, absent any hint of color. For long within the watchtower that his decrees raised from the terror of Numenor, he had gazed westwards at the distant shore of Valinor beyond the isles of Tolerese. But in doing so, his eyes parted from the east, neglecting the brewing shadow of the servant of Sauron and the elves whom dwelt there. I am honored and humbled to be in the presence of the revered shipwright of the Grey Havens. Your tidings, I assume, are urgent, Kyrdan. But then where is your high king? Could the king of the Noldor not partake in his own questing? The matter is urgent, at most, Kyrdan elaborated on his doings. And the contents of my tidings, I would keep the king of Mithland away. For in this hour the duties of the king extend beyond diplomacy, and into the heart of the dreaded warfare. The expression of the king now darkened, and appeared more wrinkled and aged than he had within his youthful demeanor, of before which was clouded by the undying thoughts of Valinor. You must recall, and hold in reverence, the admirable Tar-Aldarion of Numenor's past. Círdan recounted his fond memories of the great mariner of Numenor. He was a youthful and prideful prince, and an even greater king. His friendship with Gilgalad was the source of the ensign letter of which was bequeathed to Menodur in the past, and I understand that it is still kept within your halls. Sauron Gorthour is now at large, and endeavors in a trepid march to Linden, and we do not hold the strength to withstand him there. This was foretold by Gilgalad to Menodur, and in turn Aldarion with the hope that Numenor would arise in strength bounded by a purpose to provide aid to the east. I have come now, in this hour of peril, to enact the army forged in anticipation, if you may so lend them. Tarminister's brows furrowed as he absorbed Círdan's words, the weight of responsibility settling upon his shoulders. He had heard whispers of Sauron's rise in the east, but to hear that Linden itself was threatened sent a shiver down his spine. The king of Numenor knew he could not ignore this plea for aid. Círdan, your words carry the weight of truth, and I understand the gravity of the situation. Tarminister replied, his voice tinged with determination. Tareldarion's legacy and the friendship between our peoples shall not be forgotten. It is time for Numenor to fulfill its purpose and stand against the darkness that looms over the east. He rose from his throne, his regal stature emanating authority, and walked towards a large, ornate chest at the corner of the room. With care he unlocked it and retrieved the ancient and signed letter that had been passed down through the generations. This letter, entrusted to Menodur by Gilgalad himself, holds the promise of aid in times of dire need, Tarminister said, his gaze fixed on the aged parchment. I shall honor this alliance and rally our forces to join you in the defense of Linden. Círdan's eyes gleamed with gratitude as he witnessed the king's unwavering resolve. The elven mariner had sailed the seas for centuries, witnessing the ebb and flow of alliances. In Tarminister he saw a leader who understood the true meaning of friendship and sacrifice. "'Your grace knows no bounds,' Círdan said, his voice filled with reverence. "'With the might of Númenor behind us, we shall face Sauron's forces and protect the shores of Middle-earth.' 
Torministir nodded, his eyes shining with a mix of determination and sorrow. Gather your people, Kirdan, and prepare to depart. I shall send word to our captains and commanders to assemble the fleet. The armies of Numenor will soon set sail, bound for Linden, with Kiryator, greatest of commanders within Numenor at the helm, and Andustar to Orrstar, wielding the might of the Menatarma. With visions of the Valar beyond Numenor, and by Eru's grace, Numenor shall at last come back into the battle for the world.